On this episode of Blue 58, whoever said the phrase disappointed but not surprised has obviously never experienced a tie in a game that you shouldn't have won anyway. I am both disappointed and surprised. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Very excited to be with you here for episode number 103. So let's get the crow eating done right off the bat. Uh, I underestimated what the Packers were capable of in this one. I predicted the Vikings would win, and though they came close, the Packers took away just enough opportunities that they wanted to squander on themselves for the Vikings to win the game. Does that make sense? I I guess in a way, a tie is really fitting for this game because nobody, if you want to use the deserve word, did anybody really deserve to win this one? I mean, the Packers gave away enough opportunities to get it done, The Vikings certainly gave away their fair share of opportunities to win this game outright. And then whatever was left over, the refs just took away. Let's start right there with the referees. And I want to be careful about the way that we talk about this because I I hate the people who always want to blame the referees. But I also hate the people who are like, I can't blame the refs for anything. You you just got to play so the refs don't matter. This game is the game for those people because... If the idea of this game is to play so well that the refs don't matter, I don't even know how that's possible. Uh, you, you, This game, both ways, it seems, really couldn't have been any more poorly officiated. It just, routine plays got messed up. Uh, the way that certain players play that we'll touch on here in a second certainly made things difficult. And the rules, as they're called league-wide now, made things difficult. And the way that we review plays, as they're called, made things more difficult. We'll touch on those in the course of our conversation here, but we have to start with the big one. The one call that really affected the game more than any other. Late in the game, Minnesota driving, trailing. Kirk Cousins launches a deep ball for some reason under which Jair Alexander camps and secures what should be his first career interception. Great play all around. Good, hard, clean hit by Clay Matthews. Oh, wait. There's a flag on the play, roughing the passer. And the commonly understood interpretation at the time was that Clay Matthews did not follow the league's new rule that requires players to somehow magically not land with their full body weight on top of another player when they're making a tackle in the game of football. This, of course, is connected at least tangentially to the hit by Anthony Barr on Aaron Rodgers last year, although I don't understand what calling that play as a penalty last year really does for anything. It it wouldn't have solved anything for the Packers anyway, other than giving them the yards back and the pass that Martellus Bennett dropped, but that's beside the point. After the game, though, we learned, contrary to the explanation we received during the game, that this actually wasn't about the new bodyweight rule at all. Referee Tony Carrenti told the pool reporter that, and quoting from Rob Domovsky here, when he hit the quarterback, he lifted lifted him and drove him into the ground. It had nothing to do with the new rules protecting the quarterback. He went on to tell another reporter Uh, that this, again, had nothing to do with the rule of the full body weight. It had nothing to do with the helmet-to-helmet hit. He picked the quarterback up and drove him into the ground. Put on all the purple glasses you want. That did not happen. That was not something that happened in the game on Sunday. Clay Matthews did not pick him up and drop him into the ground. If you look at the replay, you can actually see Clay Matthews bracing with his left hand 
so he does not drive him into the ground. There's no way he could drive him into the ground because Matthews himself didn't go all the way to the ground. So it just, of course, you didn't, it just didn't happen that way. And the explanations on every side make it worse because during the game, we heard from Dean Blandino, the former NFL officiating head honcho, that this was in fact a result of the new rules about protecting the quarterback. And this is just how you have to play now. Well, the post-game explanation confused that. To say nothing of the fact that having these explanations during the game does a disservice to everybody involved. Either you are undermining somebody on the field for making a good call or a bad call by sitting there and saying, actually, according to the rules, this was the right or wrong way to do that. You're making them look bad. Or you're telling somebody at home who can see very clearly with the benefit of a slow motion replay that something is wrong, something went wrong here with this call, that their opinion doesn't matter. And you'll never, it's never going to be a good look, whether it's politics or football or anything for some guy in a suit in New York to be telling some guy in flyover country that his opinion doesn't matter. It's just a bad look all around. So the, the explanations are silly. It doesn't do anybody any good. Then you've got the brain geniuses on Twitter who write stuff like this, and you can find out who said this yourself. Just search the tweet if that really matters to you. But I'll read their tweet at length here. Uh, the irony of Clay Matthews roughing the passer, all these BS rules to pre- pre- protect quarterbacks being implemented to ensure Aaron Rodgers and a select group of other elite QBs aren't injured. But Rodgers drive these rule changes designed at protecting quarterbacks most backfired on Packers today. Well, no, duh. Yes, it did backfire on the Packers, and it did backfire in a way that I think the league was never anticipating in its infinite wisdom. Wouldn't you guess this this call being interpreted incorrectly and not even actually being a factor, but everyone perceiving that it's a factor ends up changing a game? How dumb is that? In short, football is stupid and we should all quit watching. Not really, because we'll all be back here next week anyway, so we might as well enjoy it together. Other calls throughout the game were pretty iffy, too. Uh, there was the Devontae Adams catch in the end zone that was turned from a catch to a non-catch or was never ruled a catch in the first place. I think I agree with that one, but the execution was a little bit iffy because it seemed like maybe the refs were going to review it. Charles Davis seemed to think that the Packers could challenge, even though it was under two minutes and they couldn't. And it just ended up being a poorly executed situation because the Packers thought the play clock was going to get back bumped up to 40 because the refs took so much time getting things sorted out after the play and ended up putting the Packers in a third and 15 situation instead of a third and 10. And from there, the Packers threw another incomplete pass and uh, did not take as much time off the clock as they probably could have. More on that in a second. Uh, Devontae Adams got called for offensive pass interference in the first half. That was a bad call because... There was another non-call in that same exact situation where Adams did not push off and Xavier Rhodes just grabbed him. That was that third and 15 play we were just talking about. In fact, and Xavier Rhodes is really an, an annoying player to watch because he does the Richard Sherman strategy, a totally legitimate strategy, by the way, of, of make him call it. What he's decided to do probably with some coaching by by his coaches, because all, it seems like all the, the Vikings defensive backs play somewhat in this vein, but Rhodes is just the best at it, is just grab and push and pull and do whatever you can get away with on every single play and make the referees call it. Because eventually they'll let up and they'll stop calling things that are penalties just because they don't want to be the focus of attention. You're playing in a weird way on a ref's sense of shame. 
Uh, They don't want to be this focus of attention. They don't want to be the guy who's getting yelled at for altering the course of the game. So even if these things are penalties, refs won't call them. Rhodes has benefited from that in nearly every Packers game over the past two to three years. He just grabs and holds constantly, constantly, never stops. And it's a good strategy because he's cl- it's clearly working for him. But it's just annoying and stupid to watch, and you should be able to get that straightened out. I actually remember that during the course of this game, Charles Davis, who again was not super great, um, said this is a ref just swallowing his whistle and telling these guys, okay, kids, sort it out, which is stupid. Uh, I don't buy into that thing that some sports fans seem to like to talk about where, you know, at certain points of the game, things that are penalties become non-penalties because uh, sportsmanship or gamesmanship or something. I don't really get that line of thinking. If something's a penalty, it should be a penalty all the time. So that is annoying and frustrating to see. Uh, Jimmy Graham got held, I think you would probably call it, or interfered with on a long pass shortly after the Devontae Adams uh, offensive pass interference. Another iffy call. He probably should have caught it still, but it was still pretty iffy. Then we've got the the Eric Kendricks uh, call on Aaron Rodgers that led to three points for the Packers towards the end of the first half. That is not ideal either because Rodgers had left his feet completely when he let go of the ball. Kendricks grabs him while he's in the air and tackles him. How can you do anything but drive him into the ground at that point? If Rodgers isn't on the ground when Kendrick starts tackling him, by definition, any tackle that he does is going to be driving him into the ground. All in all, a frustratingly officiated game and one that I am glad to move on from. It's a huge missed opportunity for the Packers here, but what are you going to do? A tie is better than a loss, and even if it wasn't what we were hoping for, it's, it's still better. Let's talk about a couple other facets of this game. Uh, I want to talk about what turned this game in the non-penalty category. And I think starting with the Packers' eighth drive or so, you can really start to pick on some play calling and clock management sorts of things that make things... It, it makes things a little bit more frustrating when you start to dig deeper into how much the Packers should have been able to do in this game. Bearing in mind, of course, that the Vikings did miss several, several clutch field goals. So Packers ace drive of the game. They have a third and two deep in Vikings territory. Rodgers does a kill call at the line of scrimmage, meaning they likely had two plays called. And if he calls kill, that means they're going with a particular one of those two plays. As it turned out, that ended up being an inside zone type running play for Jamal Williams. Everson Griffin makes a good play. Williams is tackled short of the first down line and suddenly... The Packers are kicking a field goal instead of going for a touchdown. This should have been pretty much it. Uh, the, the Packers were killing the clock here. They were in position to really go and, and put the Vikings away for good. The field goal is nice, but you got to wonder about that kill call. I like Rodgers' chances throwing the ball uh, in just about any situation. So so why not go that way? Uh, why would I? It's, it's odd to see Rodgers not calling his own number. Uh, and maybe who knows what what the coverages were, what they had called, but that was a, that was the first in a series of issues for the Packers. The very next Viking drive, uh, Kevin King is on the sideline, and what do the Vikings do? They go directly after his replacement, Devon House. House got smoked by Stefan Diggs on a pretty well designed play that was designed to put some stress on Kentrell Bryce, and the Vikings score a touchdown. 
from this point on, we really didn't see Devon House on the field again. Josh Jackson took all of his snaps from that point forward, except for a couple brief stints late in the game. But the question is, why was Devon House on the field at all? If you're going to ride or die with these rookies, and they've shown they're willing to do that with Jair Alexander, why are you even putting House in a position where he can almost lose the game for you? That was a little bit odd to see. Packers next drive. The clock is down two, three minutes or so. Uh, They go inside zone to Jamal Williams, inside zone to Jamal, Jamal Williams. Then on a third and six, Again, in Vikings territory, the Packers go five wide receivers, and Rodgers has to scramble and throw it away. This was really the only situation in the game until overtime, and I don't really care what happened in overtime just because it was so wacky and weird. Sure, the Packers probably could have won it, but the Vikings had two chances to win it and didn't, so I don't really care so much what the Packers did there uh, because the Packers had chances to win it or put it away in, in regulation. So I I don't understand why you put Jamal Williams, your best pass blocking back, split out as a receiver on a key third and medium play late in the game. That doesn't make any sense at all to me. It seems like an ideal situation to go with a three wide receiver look with Jimmy Graham, have Jamal Williams in the backfield and tell him to block like his life depends on it. We're just going to get do whatever we can to let somebody work free, let Rodgers do what Rodgers does and find somebody open and get the first down there. So that was that was a little bit odd. But the next drive, HaHa Clinton-Dix gets the pick. It looks like the game is over, but then another set of plays. First and 10, a run that goes nowhere. Second and 10, they go with the the kill shot in the end zone to Devontae Adams. It looks like he makes the catch. Maybe he doesn't make the catch. Who knows? Then the Packers, in the confusion after that play, get a delay of game. So third and 15, they throw to the end zone, and Xavier Rhodes gets really grabby, and we don't have a, a, a no call, or we don't have a call there at all. So 29-21, just on-clock management. It feels like you should maybe go for one shot there, not two, and that second one was really, really unusual. Just make them keep using timeouts. Make them use up every opportunity to slap, stop the clock that they can. Packers clearly didn't want to do that. Uh, you know the story from there. Um, Rodgers drives down. Crosby misses from 52. Another Rodgers comeback effort goes by the boards. That Not that you know Rodgers is going to get any credit for having the Packers in position to you know win the game there at the end. We've already got the storylines coming out that Rodgers should have done more here, especially in overtime. Tom Silverstein writing in his postgame concert or, uh, article here. The biggest problem in the second half was that Rodgers couldn't finish off drives. He completed 30 of 42 passes for 281 yards and a touchdown, but kicker Mason Crosby kicked five field goals and a sixth attempt from 52 yards went wide left at the end of regulation. Well, you know, that's technically true. But it's not always jo- Rodgers' job to finish off drives. I can think of one that you mentioned there that was Mason Crosby's job, and he missed. He failed to finish off the drive. I can think of another one that was Devontae Adams' job. Uh, he failed to finish off the drive. There were others. Uh, I mean, Rodgers is not without blame here either, but why are we splitting hairs this way? It's just silly. Uh, Rodgers was magnificent, as good as he could be on one knee. Uh, and asking for much more out of him is is silly. But here we are again with the storyline that Rodgers can't finish, which is stupid. Um, Other general thoughts. Uh, Kirk Cousins, uh, both impressed and unimpressed by Kirk Cousins in this game. Impressed because he just didn't make any or many mistakes. 
there was a couple plays where he faced really quick pressure, uh, unblocked, schemed pressure from Mike Pettin, and he stood in there and did what he had to do to get the ball out. And that was really impressive. Just managed the ball really well, had a really great command of the game. Still don't know if he's an improvement over Case Keenum or worth the, the mega contract they gave him, but he, he played very, very well. Um, but he's on the flip side of just doing what's there and taking what's in front of him, he's also only doing what's there and taking what's in front of him. Uh, it's not like he made any, to me at least, and maybe I have to go back and take another look at it, but he didn't make any plays where it was like, He's really elevating the team or really making a huge difference here. And it's just one game. And he was done in by Laquan Treadwell uh, at several occasions. So maybe if Laquan Treadwell hangs on to the ball a couple times, we're talking about Kirk Cousins a little bit different. So that that's all I have to say about Kirk Cousins. Other, other thoughts, then we'll get out of here. Stew on this tie a little bit more. Geronimo Allison is everything you could hope for, I think, from a number three receiver. Tree doesn't have tremendous speed down the field, but he catches everything that is thrown his way. And he catches it so well with his hands away from his body. He just looks confident. Man, I, I feel bad that I advocated for the Packers bringing in a number, another receiver, you know, to pretty much take his job. I'm sorry to have doubted. I still would have liked to see, a, you know, another established wide receiver, but maybe not one to take Geronimo Allison's job. So, that is good for Geronimo, I guess. I'm sure he's glad to have my personal stamp of uh, uh, approval. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling got some worthwhile snaps. Sooner or later, the Packers are going to work him deep. I don't think this was the game to do it, uh, but he is going to get loose deep sooner or later. It's cliche to say, and it's it sounds like a dumb thing that you see on a message board. The Packers just need a deep threat. They just need a guy who can get deep, take the top off the defense. Okay, yes, all of those things are cliches, but he is the guy who's capable of doing it. And in a game where all five of the receivers, other than Cobb and Allison and Adams, were utter non-factors, either because they're on injured reserve or they were inactive, it was Valdez Scantling who got the call out of that group. If that's not damning with faint praise, I don't know what is, but I think you see what I'm trying to say here. Uh, Justin McRae, Two games in a row, he has started pretty slow, but he got better as things went on. I don't know what the Packers were doing that that really gave him more help. It helped a little bit that Sheldon Richardson got banged up and uh, was not making Justin McRae's life difficult throughout the game, but, you know, he got better, and uh, he stopped giving up pressures, which was which was real good. Uh, the rookie cornerbacks, unreal. Uh, I think they are everything you could ask for and more through two weeks of the season. Uh, they just seem to understand how the game works. Alexander is a just absolute fireball, a fun fun guy to watch. And uh, it, it's really encouraging to see some life in the Packers secondary. Kenny Clark, also something else. He is a joy to watch, which is something you don't say about defensive linemen all that much. But he is all over the place. And Ted Thompson should get enormous credit for drafting a guy who was 20 years old, uh, projecting him to become something like this. That is pretty pretty outstanding. Finally, uh, I'll leave you with this, but the Packers have to figure out something at edge rusher. I know Clay Matthews is getting all the worst press at all the right times, but he's not providing much, if anything, for the Packers. And neither is Nick Perry. 
Neither is Kyler Fackrell. It's not a big stretch to say that Reggie Gilbert is the best outside linebacker the Packers have on the roster right now. Not that he's lighting the world on fire either, but he's he's been the best and most consistent player they have. There was a third and seven play in the first half that the Vikings ended up converting, but it just was emblematic of how little Clay Matthews has left. Uh, he had a chance to really turn the corner, had his man beat, the right tackle beat, and the 2011-2010 version of Clay Matthews would have dipped his shoulder you know, got about 18, 24 inches off the ground like he did, kind of slithered around that corner and just blasted Kirk Cousins. But instead, he bends about a third as much as that uh, and gets just shifted up the field where he can hurry Cousins slightly but not really affect the throw. The Vikings convert the third down, away they go. That's not great, and it's sort of emblematic of where the Packers outside linebacker group is right now. They've got to get something figured out. I don't really know who's out there. Certainly not Ahmad Brooks. He got suspended this week for six games, I believe. But they got to figure something out. It seems like there has to be a change there. Something's got to get figured out or the Packers defense may not be able to keep up the pace that they've been going at. And I realize that doesn't sound super exciting, but considering they gave up 29 points today, but still, they've, they've been playing pretty, pretty well. So I will leave you with that. We will look forward to... Uh, recovering from this tie and uh, heading towards Washington. Thank you very much for listening. Before I go, this point last week, I asked you to consider supporting our Patreon. Many of you have done so, and I appreciate that very much. If I could ask one more favor of you, traffic numbers have been great. Downloads have been great. But if you wouldn't mind sharing this podcast with someone, uh, just let people know about it. Let people help people find the show. We're looking to grow the tent here. And, and do a little bit more with the blog, with the website, and with this show. And we want as many people to listen to it as possible. So if you would do it so solid and help other people find the show, that would be great. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Blue 58. We will see you later in the week. Blue 58! Hut! Hut!